Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity, but not just any episode. We have a special edition with Julie Chapman today, and we will be discussing how do we develop talent pipelines for today, for tomorrow, and the future. And this is Julie's approach to it. Everyone has different approaches, but guess what? That's we need diverse approaches so that everyone we could take together the best ideas from everyone and make the best solutions that work because each company is different. Uh, your company might do things one way, another company might do things another way. So steal the ideas from Julie that works best for your company so that we can improve things today for the next generation. Um, with that, I'll go ahead and introduce Julie. Julie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Julie Chapman. Um, I'm in Virginia, USA. Um, I've had a very interesting cybersecurity career journey. I did not start in cybersecurity. I started in clinical laboratory science and technology in the Navy. And uh, after I joined the FBI, about six months in, I was mentored into cyber. And um, I'm so glad that happened because who knew that cyber would become such a big part of everyday life. Um, so things from building systems, gathering requirements, to IT policy, to governance, to IT program management, human intelligence, insider threat, um, intelligence community liaison in terms of cybersecurity for the IC. Um, I spent almost three years at Deloitte as a cyber risk leader, serving uh, DOD clients, treasury, um, all kinds of things, and um, made my way to GlaxoSmithKline, and now I'm headed for a new adventure, which I'll announce in the coming weeks. Um, but I love cybersecurity, and I love helping people to understand more about cybersecurity and to build their careers in cybersecurity. Oh, wow. You you really undersold your background when we first met. When we first met, I didn't know any of that. So laboratory sciences, FBI, intelligence community. Wow. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm in the presence of, of greatness here. <laughs> so but that brings that brings um, such a variety of backgrounds to your experiences. Um, you 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 get to take the best from many different fields as well as some of the things that might not work depending on where where it was or that the timing of when it was um and bring it all together very true um i it's like um imagine going on a long car trip and then every time you do one of the rest stops you gather um, an artifact or a piece of memorabilia that's how i view cybersecurity career um, and someone that I, I talked to for a while always said, take the meat, throw away the bones. And that's definitely the case with anything I'll share here. It's basically going to be based on my, pers my personal observations, what I've seen um, as I've journeyed. And then I have a little bit of a different uh, neurology. So I have an interesting approach to problem solving. I think uh, you'll, you'll enjoy it. You'll at least have fun hearing about it, Chris. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a journey. Um, I've definitely made observations and and formed in you know formed some data informed opinions, and I have some ideas about how we can, as a cybersecurity community, address the quote unquote shortage 
and the three and a half million empty roles. Well, I, I, I think I'll also have to introduce you to another great organization uh, called the Cyber Future Foundation. And what they do is they, they try to solve large problems like this. And they're having a talent week in DC, um, I think the 21st, 22nd of, of April. So um, I want to get you introduced and see if we can have a talk from you too, maybe. Yeah, that's amazing. I never, I never pass on the opportunity to evangelize my thoughts about number one, aiding the cybersecurity community in addressing these vacancies and these questions. Because the truth is, for all organizations in the ecosystem, all of these vacancies increase organizational risk and they empower the bad actors. Absolutely. Let, let's take some time and recognize some of our audience that has. Uh, came in. We have hi, hi, Allison. Uh, thank you for joining. Um, we have Goodly from Reading, UK. We have uh, another LinkedIn user. Hi, everyone. I hate when LinkedIn does that. Um, we have Bruce joining us. Good afternoon, Henry. Thank you for joining us as well. Let's see how it pronounces. Mekali, thank you for joining us. Um, Wheelin, oh, you're such an inspiration, Julie. Thank you, yeah. Wayne. I appreciate that. Here, I'll put it up for everyone to see a little bit longer. Okay. <laughs> hey, Josh. Uh, good afternoon. And then we need to move women into the cybersecurity space and end the stigma. Absolutely. We also have some um, other users from YouTube coming in. Glad to see it's working over there. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Jesse. Well, let's get started. Um, so what would be your first step of building, building that talent pipeline to address the current workforce, the folks that um, might be in different areas of IT, or they might be in totally disparate spaces like finance or audit or even sales yeah i i mean words matter so i'm gonna i'm gonna term it like this i i wouldn't i wouldn't look at it as building necessarily although some people might call it that i would use the word leveraging um if you think about it if we accept as um a basic truth that there's you know millions of empty roles and like I keep saying three and a half, because there was a study done on that. So three and a half is the widely accepted number. They're actually like 7 billion people on the planet. Um, so there are enough people to fill the roles and just follow, follow my logic. Um, when we talk about cybersecurity, um, we often think of people that are kind of banging away on the keyboard. We think of networking, coding, we think of engineering, we think of all those things, right? But if, if we really think more deeply and scratch beyond the surface of that, um, those things can actually be taught. Um, there are people in other lines of work that have the basic building blocks uh, of being a cybersecurity professional and can add to the cybersecurity community. So let's look at auditors. So auditors have experience with frameworks, rules, standards. They have great attention to detail. They can probably write, you know, they can communicate verbally and in writing. You can literally take an auditor 
and turn them into a cybersecurity professional on that basis alone, right? Let's look at the actuaries, the, the people that quantify risk for the insurance agencies. Imagine taking that brain power, right? And having them, if you're a cyber leader, having them on your team and they're able to um, translate cyber, cyber risk into dollars for you. And then you can communicate with your board, with your leaders and say, you know, using that kind of brain power, an actuary can be turned into a cybersecurity professional. One more example. One more example. Um, I volunteered for two years at my local fire and rescue department. Um, I became a firefighter ENT, basic level, right? I got certified to drive the vehicles all the way up to the tankers. It was a lot of fun. But here's what I learned. You, you know, those folks do on-the-spot mathematical calculations in their head. They are doing risk assessments on the spot in extremely unfavorable and intense conditions. And they are making risk-based decisions when they go into a fire scene or get someone onto an ambulance and have to treat them and stabilize them until they get to the hospital. Imagine people who are able to do that on-the-spot risk assessment, risk-based decision-making under high-pressure situations. Imagine them fighting bad guys trying to get into your network. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, firefighters, uh, police, law enforcement, they have, they have what's called a, a wicked learning environment. Um, and that learning environment doesn't cater to very easily recognizable patterns or repeated conditions, uh, unlike the nice learning environment, which we have in cybersecurity, because there, there's repeated pattern, there's reuse of code, there's um, humans just doing these things over and over again, that creates things that we can identify. Um, we had a, a question from Carrie that you're taking a GRC course and we're trying to finish um, and get into GRC. How can they do that remotely? Yeah, I think I think that's not necessarily a cybersecurity question. That's like a um, like a workplace culture question. Mm -hmm. um, there are some companies through the course of COVID that have discovered that having their workforce remote um, increases their profitability. So if your priority is working remote you can find a company that aligns with that personal workplace value of yours and stay away from companies that don't. I mean, that's that's any field, um, not just cyber. So yeah. it's doable, it's totally doable. Well, um, we have a huge comment from we, there's plenty of women, including myself, who are struggling to find companies who provide the opportunity to enter the cybersecurity field. I had an interview this lunchtime advising me that the lack of women to enter this uh, industry, this is not the case. I do not feel the industry is doing enough to promote awareness and encourage women. Yeah, um, and that question was from Wei Ling. Yes. Okay, um, Wei Ling, thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, there are a lot of questions about what you just shared, right? And so one of them is that women don't apply to these jobs. Um, women will see a, a, an announcement, and if they don't meet 100% of the criteria, they won't apply. Um, I know that that's one belief. I don't agree with that belief because I have not seen that. What I have seen is gatekeeping. I've seen gatekeeping and unconscious bias, and in some cases, conscious bias, 
against women in STEM fields. Because remember, I started out in clinical laboratory science and technology. And I can't tell you, um, you know, the kinds of experiences that I had to be able to prove that I had the cognitive ability to be in that field to my colleagues, you know? Same thing with cyber. I've seen women downsized and downplayed, interrupted, um, have their ideas snatched out of the air as they spoke them, repackaged for a man to say it, and then having that idea or thought accredited to him, right? So all I'm saying is like, I, I don't know if I buy the fact that there aren't enough female candidates. Um, I, think, I think there's some cultural shifts that need to happen in the cybersecurity community as a whole to make it more welcoming to diverse groups of people. There are plenty of applicants, um, but the gatekeeping needs to end. And I wanna slide into a little bit of a, um, a lane about gatekeeping. So I have seen on LinkedIn job postings that have titles such as entry-level cybersecurity analyst. And then when you look at the minimum requirements, uh, CISP is listed there. How can an entry-level have a CISP. CISP requires five years of experience in specific uh, work streams or domains, and someone has to yeah. sign up that you've completed that before you can take the exam. Same thing with CISM. So there's a disconnect between hiring managers, cybersecurity leaders, and talent acquisition professionals. And Chris, I'm hoping you have a, a portion of this uh, chat dedicated to that because I would like to talk about that. Absolutely, we we can. We could talk for as long as you want about anything you want. Today, today's show is all about Julie. So um, do you want to get into that right now? Yeah, well, let's take a couple more questions from the, okay. the audience and then we can slide into it organically. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So Carrie's saying, I'm glad that women are getting attention. How do I get more experience and find places to volunteer? If so, so that I can look better. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on so you mentioned the gatekeeping right yes. um, so part of that is someone saying oh you don't have the experience where you've like demonstrated that you have the experience yes. so how do we break that gatekeeping down um i think we continue to message it i think that folks that are um in the traditional demographic group that occupy positions of authority and decision making need to become allies and even accomplices because an accomplice is someone who actively does something. So, um, you know, Chris, for example, if you're in a meeting and I'm in a meeting with you and you notice that someone is talking over me, you could uh, redirect the regard and say, wait a minute, uh, Julie was saying something. I'd like to hear what she said. Or if the repackaging of my ideas happens, you are in a good position to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I see how that, you know, that basically supports what Julie said. And it doesn't cost you anything, but if I were to do it, then I could come off as too aggressive, you see? So it's called redirecting or sharing the regard. If you have a lot of regard, you can take a little bit of yours and share it with someone and thereby change the landscape. If, if several of us do that, then it changes things. It changes things organically and universally. Um, we cannot expect the people that are being gatekeeped to change the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of articles and blogs basically telling women to get over imposter syndrome and just get out there and apply.
but no one ever seems to have any pieces of information about the gatekeepers and telling them you need to be intentional about not doing that. I think that's starting to change. I've seen a lot of um, companies include um, diversity and inclusion and equity programs in which they're actively promoting individuals to be conscious of that. But you're right, there, it definitely needs to have a lot more in the industry. Um, and it's probably only in the top Fortune like 100 type companies which have those programs, but it hasn't changed culturally yet. So, so see, that's the other thing. Like um, some of the programs, um, like the research that talks about how effective they are, it's very interesting um, and somewhat contradictory. Programs are great, but what I'm saying is, and I'm, I'm going to look into the camera right now and talk to anybody that is a cybersecurity leader. If you are present here, please consider your individual influence and think of the ways you leverage that to change things in the cybersecurity community. Like I talked about, thinking about how much regard and respect you have in a room and seeing if you could leverage any of that regard and respect to, you know, offset some of the opposite that's happening to someone that may be in a more uh, different demographic group. It's really important to have that support, that sponsorship from leaders, regardless of whether there's a program or not. Programs don't necessarily change culture. And in some cases, we see that DEI programs actually cause backlash, resentment, and an effort to prove the, these people don't belong here. There are people that feel that way because of the programs. I think the biggest change is gonna come in conjunction with the programs if folks like you and I, people who hire other people, people who lead other people, making changes within our span of control, modeling the behavior of being open to diversity. Wow, uh, that, that, that just hit me right there. Um, definitely. Um, so we, we, as we start to evolve today, how do we start to look at tomorrow, uh, the next generation coming in and preparing them for being in the cybersecurity field, but also being aware of it as a career? Because many people might not even be aware of it. Yeah, I think, I think that, um, one positive side of everyone having to um, sort of stay away from each other because of the pandemic was how quickly society became digitized, right? So you and I, for example, right now, we have a lot more reach than we would have had 36 months ago. I think the idea is to get in front of people um, and, and, and let them see this, right? And this involves um, like career day at, at schools, elementary, middle, high school. Um, I used to do that. Um, when I was at the FBI, I would always um, you know, kind of get dressed up and everything and, and go to the, the schools and man the table. Or in the elementary school, I would do a scenario, like actually set up a little lab, a hotline, and let the kids act like they were FBI people or witnesses and, and get people interested in joining the FBI and see, let them see it's accessible. I'm a regular person. Look at me. I'm from the FBI and I'm here talking to you and shaking your hand, right? We can do that digitally now. 
So if we want people to get interested in cyber, we have to put on our calendars dedicated time to evangelize the field. So if you're a leader with busy packed calendar, you can say, I would like to have two hours on my monthly calendar for evangelizing cybersecurity and deliberately and intentionally do it. Um, the other thing is we can partner with educators and school systems and see how we can work cybersecurity into the curriculum. I think that's already starting to happen. Uh, but those are just a few ideas off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I love the career day because I, I think seeing someone that looks like you in a field makes it more like, huh, if he's there or she's there, um, then I could be there too. And I, I did one of those career days. I went to my son's elementary school and I used um, Kurt Brenzel's uh, ABC of Malware book. And we literally went through everything and I, I explained to them like the concepts so that they could be aware and have them ask questions. And absolutely, they loved it. They loved, everyone had questions, everyone had ideas and absolutely loved that. Um, and they forget that, they'll remember that, you know, because, and you can think back to when you were younger, you didn't have your career path determined when you were, no. But, it, but if you were exposed to something, it then became part of your world, part of your reality and part of the possibilities, you know? And I got to yeah. tell, tell you a funny story, Chris. You're not going to believe this. Um, when I was growing up, I had a couple of opportunities to join cybersecurity, and I deliberately avoided it. I deliberately, I don't, I just thought it, you know, when I was younger, and this was many, many moons ago, okay, um, I had a best friend, and she was always talking about how she was going to go into computers. And I thought, well, that's good for you, you know, but I, I don't, that's boring, you know, that's, obviously nerd talk or something like that, right? And so I deliberately avoided cybersecurity for a and then I ended right back. You see, it's kind of funny, um, but this, this relates to something else I'll share. Even within our own community, there are misconceptions about what a cybersecurity career looks like, right? I've seen LinkedIn wars where people tell GRC people that you're not in cybersecurity. You're not an engineer, you're not in cybersecurity. You know, it's like the snobbery or something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we need to clean up our own act, right? And that way we can message to others. It's not just about networking and coding. It's also about other things. It's also about user education and career development. That's that's a that's a work stream. You, you know, pen testing, um, engineering, architecture. Yeah. IoT. IoT is a new thing, right? Because now cyber affects physical reality. That's a whole new thing. And then we talk about AI, all kinds of things. You can get into any kind of thing from the highly technical to the non-technical to the analytical. You know, it, we need to clean up our own act and that way we can deliver a good message to the next generation. Absolutely. I mean, like we, we, we need folks that are going to teaching for security awareness. Uh, we need folks that understand the psychology of how users act in order to create um, good user interfaces, but as well as secure pathways to conduct um, a transaction. Because you you would think, okay, a threat actor might do this, so let's eliminate these potentials for them to um, destroy the transaction while it's being done. You you touched on an interesting point, and I'll say this: like um, I was preparing for a chat that I was going to do. It was, it was last year. 
<clears throat> and when I went on LinkedIn and looked up, you know, CISOs and CIOs, and I saw quite a few CISOs with degrees in psychology. Yep. And, and you're right. If you, you know, if you're just going to say, I'm going to look down and pound on my keyboard, I'm going to build this stuff and users will just have to, you know, they're too stupid to know what they want. So I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to give them what they want. That attitude is out there, not understanding and connecting to, to users. Let's not forget the whole reason we have our jobs is because of users. Absolutely. So we acting like that, you know. <laughs> we have a, a great question coming in from LinkedIn. Amber says, is there a talent shortage of um, a lack of individual to fill the jobs or is it a problem that the job description, the lack of infrastructure to train people already in the industry to meet the positions? Do we need to be attracting more people in the field or do a better job of training them? Amber, awesome questions. The answer, there's a single answer to all of your questions and that answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a lovely dovetail into what we were going to talk about before. Um, okay. So here's the thing, like evangelizing, getting people interested in the jobs, right? Unawareness in the general population of the possibility of being a cybersecurity professional. One thing I forgot to mention was customer service. So now we're talking about hotel clerks, the people that when you check into a hotel, those folks. Um, it, it's, you know, you can, you can pluck anyone from, from a field that has these certain elements and train them up. Okay. So then let's talk about the training because of COVID and the announcement of the shortage for talent, there's been a whole bunch of boot camps cropping up. And someone asked me yesterday as a hiring manager, how do I feel if I, you know, if someone attends a boot camp, would I hire them? So. Imagine me looking at your resume and I see such and such boot camp, Red Apple boot camp. I can't do anything with that. That I, I can't do anything with it. But if the boot camp gave you a test voucher to take the certified ethical hacker exam and you have the cert, then then I can see that. Or if the boot camp gave you a chance to build an online portfolio that I could click and look at your work, I can use that. Mm -hmm. But if you just attended a boot camp, I can't do much with it. And that's true. So please watch out. Okay. If the boot camp doesn't result in something material as a hiring manager, and you know, I'm pretty liberal. If I can't use it, then the people who are looking more tight are definitely not. Here. Julie, what are your thoughts if the output or them being able to create uh, Amazon infrastructure, like uh, a virtual infrastructure and set up everything that was needed and they could demonstrate that environment and they mentioned that on a resume would that appeal to you more than say an aws um cloud certification i would look at it me again and, and this and i'll talk about this um maybe i should just answer by sharing this the hiring managers the talent acquisition uh specialists right the recruiters there seems to be a disconnect okay and this is not and i want you to know amber this is this is part of answering your question we are still on your questions um there's a disconnect so basically you know a job is posted a lot of people make a run at it the first part is that ats you know your resume makes it through the ats system please look that up if you don't know what that is ats 
Um, so once you get through there, you get to a human and that human has to rack and stack all these resumes, right? So the, they got from a hiring manager or whomever, I want someone with a CISP, I want someone with a four-year degree in blah, and I want someone with this. They'll just look at those things, everybody else goes to the side. And then, you know, so so here's the thing, right? There are more, there's more than one way to qualify for a role. And there's a tiny, tiny word in the, in the English language and it opens up the universe. And that word is or, let me show you how it works. I want someone with a CISSP, or six years of experience in blah. I want someone with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering or computer science, or so many years of experience in blah, blah, blah. I want someone with a CEH or a risk cert or three years of experience. Okay, so my, my job descriptions, unless I'm in an organization that doesn't permit it, and I've only worked in one place where that was the case, we'll always have or. Why do I use or? It's a tiny word, right? The universe opens up. So here's the thing. The other thing I do as a hiring manager is I stay close to the talent acquisition person. I have conversations with them. This goes to me and my calendar again. One hour a week, blocked off for recruiting or talent or whatever, right? If I'm not using that hour to talk to the talent acquisition professional, maybe I'm using it to fine tune the job description. I don't go with boilerplate. I sit with the job description and I imagine the person I want in the role and I adjust the job description. If there's something in there that's unnecessary and a blocker, I'm taking it out, right? We are all busy, I get it. But a lot of hiring managers are not doing this. And that's why you get these weird job descriptions on LinkedIn. Right? So Amber, we're still on your question. I'm hoping that you're um very instrumental the way you have. Uh, a, a little background on Amber um before you continue. Um and I promoted a post from her a couple days ago. She's actually doing research on this and she's doing research on the skills and competencies of a cybersecurity professional and how they could potentially predict uh, them being successful in the role or not being fit for um, such roles uh, just based on the, the data that she's getting. I love that. I hope that I get to see the output. Maybe I can add some data right now. Communication. And Chris, this is part of your, you know, what you promote, right, that I've seen. Communication, verbally and in writing. When I was coming up, again, I'm probably giving you an idea of how uh, ancient I am. Um, but <laughs> um, I remember the guidance counselors, that's what they were called at the time. I don't know if they're still called that, but they would direct students who did not want to deal with people to computers. That is what they were doing. So right now we have mid-level and senior leaders who never wanted, who, who from the start of their lives never wanted to deal with people. We have some of those sprinkled in. Um, you, you've got to have the communication skills today. Cyber is not what it was before. It's not a hobby shop. It's not the domain of this intellectually exclusive group of people who operate in mystery. It's not. It's a business enabler, just like human resources, just like legal, and just like operational technology. Business enabler. If we're selling water, right, this is how we make money. A bottle of water gets into somebody's hands and they give money for it. That pays everyone around the table, legal, HR, and cybersecurity, right? Let's not forget that. Let's not become so um, superior to others because we are 
technical people or intelligent people. Let's also leverage our emotional and emotional and social intelligence. Why? 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 Here's another good question for you. Would you present the body of work on a resume to a hiring manager to look at? I think that that screens into um, a follow on to your, the previous question. That's it. That's a That's an interesting one, because uh, as you pointed out in the beginning of the talk, Chris, a lot of companies have different practices. Um, if you know, there, there are three legs that you stand on as a candidate, you know, and you have to communicate this in your resume and it's going to be your education, you know, um, certifications, what you've added and, um, your journey, right? So you've got to really get those things tight. Let's say you don't have certifications, but you have education and you're dealing with a hiring manager that uses the word or then you're good. But if you're dealing with sort of a gatekeepy um, organization, you're never going to make it pass because you don't have the CISP. And it's their loss. I'm going to repeat that. It's entirely their loss and you should just move on, right? There are, again, three and a half million empty jobs. So you've got to figure out, like, you look at the job descriptions and there's a way to do this. You look at the minimum qualifications and the nice to haves. And I think um, there's something like if you meet half or 60% or something like that, just shoot your shot. Don't be discouraged about getting lots of no's. It takes, what, 75 no's to get to one maybe and 20 maybes to get to a yes, right? Don't take it personally, right? You have some people that are doing check box screening. And you can't control that. Who can control that is people like me and Chris. We should try to eliminate that. We should be spending time with the talent acquisition people. This is not your fault. This is the leadership's responsibility to fix. We are feeding into the talent shortage by, by not being proactive. Hiring is not a checkbox exercise. The other thing that Amber touched on is the infrastructure to train people already in the industry. I think that could be a problem. Um, I think that traditionally organizations, whenever there's financial trouble, there are a couple of things they cut first. One of them is training, right? There are training providers. I would love to see the training providers, um, like the, the recognized platforms, come up with something to offer the industry, something that's plug and play. Like if I'm going to be liberal, I'm going to say this or that. Or if I'm hiring for entry-level roles and I'll say, I'll take someone who was an English major as long as they have good communication skills, customer service, and some other things. If they have those things, I would like to, to bring them into my organization. And then I want to put them in this path with this provider for X amount of weeks or months with these outcomes, right? So if the, if the, if the respected and established providers could come up with something to sell to, to us as a community, I think that would help, okay? And those things could lead to some of the certs or whatever if, we, if we're still you know, kind of focused on those. But we have providers for the certs already and we see that maybe that's not working the way we want. So I'm just throwing out ideas, okay? Um, <laughs> No, and that leads to a comment from Dana. Accessible education for users. My users love short videos, so transforming education media is helping. And I could say, I know, for example, there is a company out there that provides short, free uh, security awareness training, 
and like they advertise all over LinkedIn. And I think the reaction that they've gotten from the community was, whoa, like, why are you doing this for free? And it's like, well, if they do this for free, imagine what you get when you pay for it. Um, and, and that's just exactly the fact. Um, because the, the content is great, it's funny, you pay attention to it, you see it and you're like, oh, I haven't seen this one yet. And I do this all the time, like, but I still want to see the video. And it just brings back up that concept in my mind. Oh yeah, I haven't paid attention to that lately. Yeah, it's um, information if it can be delivered in a way that makes people want to receive it, it's better, right? Um, you know, back in the days, the, the training was painful. It really was painful. Um, but people's attention span, um, again, with the digitization of society, people's attention span really become smaller, very tiny, right? So you have a couple of seconds to get somebody to click your link or you've lost them forever. Um, I love the idea of the bite-sized learning, the interactive learning, and the fun learning. I like infotainment, right? Information that's also infotainment. Uh, one of the follow-on questions to having training but not certification. What if they have the training for the certifications but they didn't get the actual certification yet? Well, um, I'll be transparent, and when I see that, I I ask, well, why won't you just take the exam? Can I ask, can I ask something to kind of push? Um, <laughs> one of the areas that I feel like could un, could cause some of the underrepresentation in in our field is that these certifications cost. $150, sometimes like three, four, $500. And then you have to pay every year to, to maintain them. Um, do you do you think that could cause some underrepresentation from environments that might have less money to put towards this type of education? So they'll try to do everything that's free, but up until the line of paying money, um, because that's all you're able to do to try to get in. Yeah, thank you for underscoring that. Um, I think, you know, what you've raised is a very important thing. Um, when it comes to economically dis disadvantaged folks, this is a barrier. Um, but the question that just popped up was, what if I took the training and didn't take, you know, get the cert? So this is where I'm going to caution folks. And this goes back to my other comment about taking a boot camp that doesn't lead to anything. If you're gonna if you're gonna pay for a training, maybe try paint might maybe try doing one that has a test voucher with it. There, there are enough that have that. But if you if you're taking free training that leads to the cert, then that is a barrier. And I do understand that. Um, but be very very um if you are paying, be very discerning about what you pay for. Remember what I shared earlier. It should lead to something. You should either have a, t um, a test voucher or some sort of portfolio that, that a hiring manager can explore and look at something. You should have something. It shouldn't just be a boot camp. And people are throwing up shingles for boot camps now like crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we went over our, our traditional half hour by a lot, but this, oh. this conversation was, was so good. I wasn't about to stop it. Um, 
is there anything else you felt like you didn't cover that you that you really wanted to cover before I ask my last question? Um, have we covered everything that everyone asked in the chat? Because this uh, is not about me; it's really about them. Um, I think for the most part, we've covered uh, most of the questions in the chat. So I, I would bring it down to our last question. Okay. What one piece of sage advice would you give someone that uh, is listening to you out there and wants to follow in your footsteps? Don't give up. Don't give up. Be, be resilient. Understand that it may take hundreds of no's to get to a maybe and scores of maybes to get to a yes. Don't give up. Um, when people are assuming an intellectually superior position to you um, because you're a newbie or maybe from an underrepresented group, please remember that it's all grandstanding, okay? And don't you dare give up. Wow, what a resounding message. Julie, thank you so much for coming. Uh, everyone follow myself, follow Julie on LinkedIn if you're following us here. If you're catching us live on YouTube, hit subscribe and then the notification button. That way, the next time we have someone on, uh, you get notified of that. And after the fact, if you're listening to us on podcast, give Julie a five-star rating for, for this show. This is it's been absolutely amazing and share it with all your friends and family because we really need that awareness out there that you can do it and that you are welcome and like julie said don't give up thank you so much everyone and have a great rest of your day